apostle or someone who was from God sent out by God. But how could Paul and the other apostles validate who they were? It was through the signs that they were able to perform. Now, again, not rooted in who they were, what they were able to do in their own strength, but God gave them that ability to validate their ministry and their work. And then lastly, we have Hebrews 2, verse 3 and verse 4. Excellent, right? So that same idea. Hopefully you guys are all picking up this theme that we're hearing, right? What was the purpose of all of these signs and wonders and various miracles? It was to, again, establish the validation of those who are proclaiming the good news. Again, you think about uh, by the time that Jesus was coming onto the scene, you have the Old Testament already established. Everyone understood that this was the word of God. This has been what was written by various prophets and uh, people of the Lord. But now that we're entering the New Testament era, how would we know that God is indeed writing something new? It was through these various works that were performed here. And so again, this was the, the purpose of the sign gifts. It's important to understand that as we continue on, because that's a huge part of how you have conversation around this topic here. And now let's go ahead and look at what these various sign gifts were, right? I think in your notes, it says the list, if it were. Uh, we're just going to go through this in order. The first one are the apostles, which are the leaders who were commissioned by God to found and establish the church. A, a well-known passage that you can find this in is Ephesians 2, verse 19 and verse 20. And here Paul is saying, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of what? The apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In other words, how is it that God was creating and establishing his church, right, his, his spiritual body? It was through the presence and the ministry of two different groups or offices, the apostles and then the prophets, right? And so, of course, you have the apostles, those who were the key ones initially sent out from Christ to preach the gospel and found the churches. Uh, you also have a second group or a second office, uh, which are known as the prophets, and here you see this listed or defined, and, and many of these definitions come from Kossihan's book, by the way. It says, the ability to communicate to people direct revelation from God, and I added via foretelling or foretelling. Right, as you're going through all of the, the Bible, what you see is that when you have a person who's indeed a prophet, they are the individual who's able to say, thus saith the Lord. Right? And again, that, that's probably the, the King James translation, so uh, it would sound very different in Hebrew at the time, but they're able to speak on behalf of God. Right? In other words, when they are saying that this is what God is telling me, this is something that God has actually said to an individual. And so these are words that all of the people of Israel or all of the people of God who were there at the time must absolutely listen to because it's not just the words of a mere man. It's not that I'm getting up and saying, this is what I think God is saying that you should do, right? The office of a prophet would be able to say, God is saying this, and so you absolutely must listen to it. And how do you know just how serious it was? Well, I think your notes probably reference Deuteronomy 18, 15 to 22, right? And there's a, there's a whole section going on there, but that's basically where God was talking about the importance of knowing a true prophet from a false prophet. And so what was the main difference? 
Well, you would know that someone was a false prophet if not everything that they said is exactly as it happened, right? If there was one mistake or one error in what they said, it means that they are a false prophet. And guess what? They should die, right? To, to top that off. It was a serious thing to hold the office or the role of a prophet because what you are saying when you do that is, I am speaking on behalf of God, right? What I am hearing from him, I am now saying to you. And so it's not just my words that I'm saying, but it's actually God who is speaking through me. And again, to clarify, there are those two different ideas of foretelling or foretelling. Right, so uh, foretelling is that idea of where you're often hearing prophecy, right? Thinking about the future, but just know that that's not the most common way that prophecy is often used. It can include that, right? There are various times where God is talking about what will happen in the future, but the most common way in which you see prophecy being done is in this act of foretelling or speaking true, uh, speaking forth what God has actually said. And we'll clarify maybe how you see the word prophecy used in today's uh, context. But the main idea that I want to focus on here is that word prophet or the office of a prophet. These that were established by God to be able to say this is what God is saying right now. And part of why this was so important in the early church, right? It's part of the foundation of the church, as we saw in Ephesians 2.20, is as the New Testament canon was being written, right? As the scriptures were, were being completed or before they were completed, God would speak through his prophets to his local people, right? If you're thinking about us today, for some reason, if you didn't have the New Testament canon and, and you're living back there and you're wondering, I know who Jesus is, but I don't fully understand how to flesh out all of this uh, new uh, relationship with him. God could use prophets in those various times to speak to his people before the canon was finished. So let's move on. We'll we'll clarify some of those things as we go on. Uh, Next, we have this idea of discernment or distinguishing of spirits. And here's how Cossie defines it. It's the ability to discern true revelation from false revelation and true teachers from false, or that is false teachers. And as we said before, it's this idea that in this early church age, you have a number of people who are saying, I'm speaking on behalf of God, right? God has given me a word of revelation that you should listen to. And so this was a spiritual gift in which an individual would be able to discern whether a person that was speaking truly was from the Lord or was speaking in his own strength or in a demonic strength, right? Is this a true prophet who's speaking a true revelation from God or is it just an individual that's speaking either on his own effort or demonic effort? Uh, you see this in part in 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen and verse 14. And here Paul says this, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ, right? So you have a true apostle and then a false teacher. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. And so as one helpful point of clarification, this phrase of having the idea of discerning of spirits isn't the ability to just be discerning in general, right? Maybe you hear people say that, um, but that's not what this particular word is saying. Now, that does not mean that God can help you be more discerning, right, as you follow him. Of course, we should all be growing in discernment, um, but the focus of this phrase here is more specific on the idea of false teaching versus true teaching. Okay, the next category we have, 
uh, is the gift of healing. And here it's defined as the ability to heal the sick immediately. And here's a couple helpful clarifications. Regardless of disease or injury, the level of faith of the person being prayed for, or even the proximity between the healer and the person being healed. Right? So we're going to get in a little bit to the differences of how we see modern day healing versus what's scriptural. But here's a huge part of how it is. When a New Testament use of this gift of healing was being done, it was always instantaneous, right? You think of Jesus saying, rise up and walk. Or Paul raising that boy from the dead after he's fallen, right? Or, or various diseases. Actually, the, the raising from the dead might be considered a miracle, but there is a lot of overlap here. It's the idea that there is some type of disease or ailment which is healed so quickly that it could not be explained by any normal medical means. And as we see in several different verses in the New Testament, uh, the ability to heal could even be done remotely, right? You think about Paul um, having some of his handkerchiefs being sent away, and even those were healing people, right? That was because it wasn't just an individual said, I believe so much this will make me better. It was because Paul had the gift of healing at that time, and that power was so effective that it was able to help even from a distance. Okay, the next one, miracles the ability to perform powerful works that through divine intervention defy the laws of nature. And so what are some examples that you see? Well, I would say that a miracle is what you see in Exodus 14, when Moses parts the Red Sea. And again, all of these is, is of course, God that's doing the work, but he chooses to use human means. You think about John 11, when Lazarus raises from the dead, right? Jesus calling him forth, that too was a miracle, and in Acts 8, you have the wonderful story where Philip right, is, is uh, preaching. He's ministering to a person, and he is suddenly teleported somewhere else. Right? There's no way that you or I could ever explain that or say, well, maybe if I pray hard enough, it will be done. Um, that was truly something that defied nature. And then the last two categories. Uh, you have tongues, which is defined as what? The ability to speak in a foreign language you have never learned. Right? And so I, I love this passage in Acts 2, verse 6 and verse 7. It says, And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who were speaking Galileans? Right? And I think we know this passage well, the beginning of the early church, where you have all these different individuals from various countries, cultural backgrounds, languages, and they're hearing these apostles speak and they're all hearing it in their own language. That's what the gift of tongues is, right? It's a powerful evangelistic tool to prove that the person who's speaking to you is from the Lord and you should listen to him. And there's a, <clears throat> there's a, <clears throat> excuse me, there's a lot that's clarified in the book of 1 Corinthians about how tongues was supposed to be done properly, right? For instance, in 1 Corinthians 14, the importance of order, right? That you would not just have a person that says, I have the gift of tongues, and so I'm going to say it whenever I want. But there was the, the sense of order saying, well, if you will have one, there needs to be an interpreter. It needs to be done in an orderly way so people don't think you're crazy, right? Because if you have 20 people that are all speaking tongues at once, it's presenting God, right, as the church being the representation of God on earth as a God of disorder when he is not. Along with tongues, you have, of course, the interpretation of tongues, which is the ability to interpret 
what is being spoken by someone with the gift of tongues. Now, what's helpful to clarify about this is it's not just knowing the language already, right? The, the gift of interpretation of tongues is not that, you know, you can pick up languages quickly and so be able to interpret another person. It was the idea that even if you don't naturally know the language, just by hearing it, God has given you the ability to say, this is what this individual is saying. Right, and tongues being a true language, being able to interpret that for the people who are actually there, actually there in front of them. Okay, hopefully I didn't lose all of you. There are, those are a lot of gifts, and we try to give at least a little bit of explanation. So let's go next into the justification. Um, why is it that we would hold to a position that's called cessationism? Well, here are some reasons why. And then the first thing I want to mention, I think it's there on your notes, we recognize that these are arguments of inference. And here's what I mean by that. Um, you don't go to the New Testament and find a verse in 4 Corinthians that says, tongues will cease on this day and it will forever be called cessationism, right? We don't find passages like that. Um, what we do is we look and see what scripture actually has to say and make deductions or inferences from those principles to say from what scripture is saying, therefore we should believe this. And so one of the points of difference, again, is that you don't find a passage that will say tongues will cease after this point on 90 AD. And so some continuations will take that to say, look, it doesn't say it will stop, therefore it will continue. But notice that scripture never says how long certain gifts will continue on as well. So we're going to go through some of the principles that scripture does reveal. And from there, we draw our conclusions. So the first point or the first reason we understand that the purpose of assigned gifts has already been fulfilled, right? So again, we read Hebrews 2, 3, and 4. It says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us, right? Aorist or sort of a past tense by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, right? So what was the purpose again of the miracles and the signs and the wonders, it was to establish the credibility of the apostles and the prophets, right? Again, as we've said, as Jesus was allowing his followers to now write the rest of the canon, which is now finished, there was no longer the need for all of these various signs and giftings. The purpose was there to validate who they were. And once they were done and performed, everyone knew Paul, he is speaking on God's behalf, right? These individuals, they truly are from the Lord. And now they're able to write and minister effectively because they now have that credibility. Uh, a second point of reason, the presence of sign gifts has never been perpetual. In other words, when you're going through the pages of scripture, it's not that you're seeing certain signs and wonders always being performed through every single time of history. Uh, in fact, if you were to look at it carefully, you'll notice that there are certain eras of world history, of biblical history, in which they were being performed, but that doesn't mean that they were always continuing, right? What are some of these eras? Well, I think in your notes, you have Exodus 4, which is just talking about the era of Moses, right? As he is speaking to Pharaoh on God's behalf, you think about all of those crazy miracles and wonders that he was doing, which were trying to show Pharaoh, this is indeed a message from the true living God that you must listen to. You think about all the plagues of Egypt and all the various things that were done there. But then after that period is over, you'll notice that time seems to go on for a while in which miracles were not regularly performed. But then you get to the time of Elijah and Elisha, 
right, in 1 Kings 17 and 18 and that surrounding area, where suddenly you do see a number of miracles start popping up again where they weren't always there before. And so various individuals would do certain miracles. You see, again, Jesus then come in the beginning part of the New Testament where he is establishing who he is as the Messiah in part through many of the signs and miracles that he is performing. And then, of course, you have the the season of the apostles in the book of Acts, the early church period in which many uh, various miracles were done. But if you go through the pages of Scripture, if you were to look at it in, in terms of a timeline chronologically, you'll actually note that the times of miracles were, were not always consecutive. Right? In fact, they would be for maybe 70 or 80 years or so, and then there would be a period in which they stopped. And again, that's not saying conclusively, therefore we know, but it shows us that uh, the Christian church or God's people have never always anticipated that they would go on forever and ever and ever. We have a third line of reasoning. And again, this one I want to say is not a conclusive statement, right? It's an inference that we can draw. But again, we we have to look at the patterns that we see here. And it says this, the power of sign gifts seem to dissipate or to weaken over time. In other words, you know, when you look at, for instance, the the book of 1 Corinthians, right, which was one of the earlier letters that Paul wrote, uh, sign gifts and all of these, you know, various, you know, healing gifts are everywhere, right? And part of what Paul was trying to write is to address the fact that people were abusing them. In some sense, you could think about the, the Corinthians as a church of just total excess, right? They were always taking things that were maybe biblical, but way too far. And so, for instance, you hear a Paul is warning them, some of you, as you're taking communion, are getting drunk, right? Because they're taking what was established by God, right, in terms of the drinking of the little bit of wine, and they're going completely overboard. And in a similar way, you see here how some of these individuals did have various sign gifts, but they were using it in completely uh, overboard types of ways, right? And so, for instance, in Corinthians, you do see various forms of the sign gifts mentioned. But it's interesting, as you go towards the end of the New Testament canon, um, that even it seems like Paul's gift of healing was no longer being used. All right, so I gave you two examples, I think, in your notes. One is from 1 Corinthians 5, 23, where here Paul is telling Timothy that you should drink some wine for your ailments, right? And again, he doesn't go into all the details of what that is, but in an era in which there were you know, many healings being done, I, you know, we would potentially expect to see something like, well, you should be able to be healed, right? There are people around you that are healing you. But instead he's saying, no, like you're, if you're getting some ailments, drink a little bit of wine. And then as you go to the very end of Paul's letters in 2 Timothy 4.20, as he is explaining some of his final interactions with various people, he mentions how he had to leave an individual named Trophimus where he was because he was ill. And then Paul continued on with his journey. But if you remember, right, Paul in the book of Acts was one of those individuals who had the gift of healing, right? You know, he would do various forms of miracles and wonders, even raising a person that had fallen off of one of his long sermons, right? Uh, He did powerful works, but then when it comes to the end of his ministry, he says, well, this guy that was sick, he was so sick that I had to leave him there so I can continue on in my ministry, Right? So again, this isn't something that we would say is 100% conclusive. Right? It's not saying on this day we knew that the signs came to an end, but this is the pattern that we tend to see. 
many sign gifts being performed early on in the church's uh, history and lifetime, right? Especially as the apostles and prophets were being established. But it seems that once their uh, position was known, right, they have performed enough to validate who they were, that they seem to tail off or dissipate as time goes on. So a lot of these, again, are arguments of inference. But I think this last part is the most essential and helpful thing for us to look at here. It says, the present examples of sign gifts do not match the New Testament pattern. Right, so here I want us to understand what do we see in Scripture as these various sign gifts being performed? Uh, that's one thing, but that's very different than how many continuationist groups use or practice them today. And so let's just look at a couple of these examples here. So take, for instance, prophecy. Right? And again, I want to differentiate that some people can understand that we're prophecy, not to be the office of a prophet in which you're hearing from God, but there is a way of understanding the verb to literally just means speaking forth the truth of God's word, right? So some people will say, well, you see prophecy today in the sense of preaching or foretelling the truth of God, but that's no longer receiving revelation from God in the way that the, the early church did. So that is one point of clarification. Um, but if you are understanding the, the office of a prophet in the early period of Acts, those who are hearing from God, that's how people understood a prophet to be. But where do you see modern-day prophecy oftentimes? Is individuals saying, well, I'm, I'm getting a word from the Lord. I, I know this is what he's saying. And as we've seen many times, this person is going to win the election. Or I know that on this day, the apocalypse is going to come. Right? People will make all these different uh, claims about the future that just don't happen to be true. Right? And so, you know, you have individuals today that will say, well, I, I know that I'm hearing from God but what I'm hearing might be wrong. Or many times it is wrong, but that's just the way that it works today, right? And that goes very much against the biblical pattern for what prophecy is, right? That is absolutely 100% from God, but therefore it means that that will always be right, right? What he says will happen will happen. There's no question or doubt about it. And so to have the world in which we are today where people are saying, I heard a word from the Lord that, you know, as Kossi said in his book, you are going to take over your dad's church, right? That is a grievous, grievous error. And I would say even a form of false teaching. And I want to be careful. And I think there's a clarification later on. So actually I'll, I'll save it for there. But we just have to realize how serious it is to claim that you are speaking a word from the Lord. Right, that you are a prophet. That is a serious, serious thing. But as we saw in Ephesians 2.20, the, the apostles and prophets were the foundation of the church. Right? And so once that foundation is completed, um, those offices are no longer being used today. Another example here, um, healing. So as we saw, it, it was the ability to instantaneously help someone recover in a way that was not normally, naturally possible. So again, a person has leprosy, Boom, it's gone, right? And again, not to you know, just validate the person, but to show I am speaking on behalf of God. Here's an instantaneous healing. As we see from Paul, he would be able to set his handkerchiefs away and that was miraculously healing people's uh, problems and whatever it was, right? And so if you were to understand that gift biblically, if it were to be used today, it would be the ability or power to go anywhere and say, hey, I'm speaking on behalf of God. You are healed so you know that this is true. But what do you see in today's modern healing? 
is oftentimes things that tend to be very small changes in illnesses, right? Um, I had a headache, and after much prayer, um, I don't feel it anymore. Um, you know, I, I had, um, even I have right now, I have the sniffles. Uh, and after much prayer, it's suddenly gone. That's the power of healing. That's amazing. Or as I think Costi references in his book, some people will do sort of the a leg lengthening, you know, um, trick, where again, depends on how much you're uh, releasing or relaxing your legs. Sometimes they can be a little bit shorter, a little bit longer. People will see that and say, wow, that's a sign of God's power over here. Um, right, but that's not at all corresponding to how healing was understood. And, and again, I'm not saying that God in his sovereignty could respond to a prayer and heal you of a headache or a cold or anything like that. But again, right, if, if the differences are so small, it becomes very difficult to know, is this truly from the Lord? Is this psychosomatic? Are you just feeling better because you want to feel better? Right? There's many different reasons. And so we don't want to attribute to God something if it's not truly from him. And so again, with this modern understanding of healing, it's led to many, many different misconceptions, right? A person that has the smallest of changes and says, this is of the Lord, therefore listen to me. Or at times you hear what I think is, again, and I say this in a very sad, tragic way, right? There was the very famous story, I think a year or two ago, of a very well-known, um, you know, charismatic group, continuationist group, where uh, an individual died, and the wife said, you know, we're going to do prayer meetings because I know that in God's power, this person will be raised from the dead. Right? And again, I, I, I sympathize with that individual because, again, when you lose someone that you care for, of course, right, you don't like the fact that they're gone, but that's not at all how the gift of healing is supposed to work. Right? That was used for its purpose in a time, but we're not supposed to expect that as a regular practice or a spiritual gift in today's world. And then the same thing when it comes to the gift of miracles, right? And again, a miracle is something that is literally defying the laws of nature. It's, it's breaking reality as, as it's supposed to be done. You know, what happens in today's world, right? It's not that you have an individual like Philip that's suddenly teleported to another place or Moses parting the Red Sea or someone rising from the dead. Any small thing that a person likes is considered a miracle, and again, I'm not saying we should look at all things and say, God, there's a reason to praise you because you are working sovereignly in all aspects of my life. We're not saying that. But people, again, will have the smallest of headaches that go away and say, this was a miracle from the Lord and proof that he's working today. And in saying all of this, again, the goal is not to look down on certain individuals, but to prove and show what we're seeing in Scripture Right, what was done in the book of Acts in this early church period is completely different than what's being practiced today. And so you have individuals that will say they have various types of gifts, but when you look at it biblically, it, it doesn't match on at all to what these gifts were. And here's one last example. And for time, we'll, we'll wait until we have questions at the end, but we, we can't get there. The last one, um, the gift of tongues. As we were establishing, that was the ability to speak a real language um, that an individual would not normally or naturally know. But as we saw from Acts 2, other people from other cultures could hear that and they would each hear their own language being spoken to them. They would fully be able to understand what was being said, even if they did not have a background in that. But how do we see tongues being practiced today? Oftentimes, it's this idea of free vocalization or you know, what could be described as gibberish. 
and that people are saying certain words or phrases that don't actually correspond to a language, but they're saying the same thing over and over again. Uh, and again, this is maybe 15, 20 years ago. I remember uh, doing homework as I think like a high schooler and uh, you know, listening to a worship CD, beautiful music, beautiful voice. And then after a while, it, it trailed off into like a, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> one of those types of things. And it, it just caught me completely off guard because I was in the middle of studying. Right? But, but that's how we often see uh, that tongues in today's world is, is being done. But right, if you were to even look at some of those practices linguistically, it doesn't actually match onto any type of language. It's just certain types of syllables that are uttered over and over again. And then the goal is not at all to look down on, on certain people who genuinely believe they're doing that properly. Many people are just misinformed. Right? But I'm bringing this up to say that the true biblical practice of tongues is not just saying certain syllables that come to mind. It was the ability to speak and people in various languages would be able to understand and hear it in that moment there. Okay, so that's a general explanation for uh, you know, this biblical stance and why we get there. Uh, let's go ahead and move on for time's sake to the last two. And then if we have time for questions, we'll try to get there. Let me give some clarifications. Right? I think it's so important as believers in whatever uh, theological topic you're getting at that you hear positions, you say things as they are biblically, but you also don't want to go too far as you're explaining the truth of Scripture. Right? You want to make sure you're hearing it and understanding it properly. So first clarification, this does not mean that God cannot heal people today. Right? And so you read a passage like James 5, 13 to verse 15. It says, if anyone, is anyone among you suffering, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful, let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Right? And so this is one passage in which we're seeing, yes, you can pray for healing over something that you're experiencing. But the difference, though, is that we're talking about the gift, the spiritual gift of healing being gone. Right? And so that was a gift in which a person could go and instantly cause an illness to be removed for the sake of validating their apostolic ministry. But that does not mean that as we are uh, interacting as believers and you know someone that's going through cancer or you know someone that has a real illness that you can pray for that and God might choose in his sovereignty and goodness to heal that, right? And so when that does happen, we can say praise the Lord for what he has, cho uh, what he has chosen to do. We just want to be careful that we don't identify small things that are very ambiguous, like a small headache or cold and say, I know 100% that was from the Lord. The, the clarification that I'm trying to bring is that we are saying the gift of supernatural healing is no longer in use today. But it does not mean that God cannot choose to heal in his goodness and sovereignty or that we should not pray for or even desire that. Secondly, what's a helpful clarification? This does not mean that God does not speak to his people today. Right? So again, you think about the prophecies or the prophets in that early church history that were able to say, this is what God is saying. And there's a part of, I think, all of us that actually say, well, isn't that a bad thing if we're losing that? The reality is that God is still speaking to us every single day. And so you have 2 Peter 1, 18 to 21. It says, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, 
for we were with him on the holy mountain. Right? This is Peter talking about uh, seeing the transfiguration of Christ. Right? I've seen his glory. But then he says in verse 19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Right? This is one of those passages that shows us how uh, full, how sure we can be of God's word today. Because it is in scripture that God is continuously speaking to all of us every single day as we listen to him. And so we don't have to think that because the the prophets were only used at the beginning of the church period to establish the church, that, well, then how are we going to hear from God? We can understand that what we hear in the scriptures is the Lord speaking to us. Right? We listen to it every single day, right? And so there is a sense in which you want to be careful that you're not saying, I know for sure that God told me to buy this car or, or do certain things. But insofar as we are looking at the words and pages of Scripture, as we are being convicted by that, that God is very much still speaking to us today. And so it's just a matter of how we are saying, what are we hearing from the Lord and how do we define what a speech actually is? God very much is at work here. And so, how do we make sure that we are indeed hearing from the Lord? Of course, you want to read Scripture. And we trust that in God's providence and timing, as we are saturating our minds with the Word of Christ, He will convict us. Right? He will bring certain verses and biblical principles to mind in various situations where He will convict us, but it's not just going to be from some arbitrary feeling. Right? It's always going to be based on the truth of God's Word you know what, right now I feel so convicted that I need to evangelize my coworker. That could very much be the Lord's prompting from the truth of Scripture. We just want to be careful of how we're worrying that, that we're not saying God said this and God said that all the time. A third clarification, this is one that should be very obvious. This does not mean that God has left us with inferior help. Again, knowing that the, the type of revelation, the prophecy which we have today is the revealed and the finished word of God or the scriptural canon, we have this verse that we've referenced almost every other week. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God, right? It's coming from God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. This is saying, in Scripture, God has given us everything we need to live the Christian life. Right? Back in that early church period where Scripture wasn't finished, yes, people weren't sure about what to do or what God would say about certain you know, aspects of living this Christian life. But now that we have the finished work of the Scriptures, we know everything that God has said. We're able to use the principles there to respond and live in every single situation of life we don't have to think that, well, God has given us the, the second bits or the leftovers of his empowering for the Christian life. He has given us everything that we need. We have his work complete. We can now be complete and equipped for every good work. 
And so even if we're understanding this position of cessationism, we don't have to take it as all the negative aspects. Look at all these amazing things that God used to do, but now we just don't have it. Uh, We understand this as being a true positive, right? In the same way as we've been reading in John 14 and now 15 that Jesus had to leave, which could be seen as a very negative thing, but in order to send his helper, the Holy Spirit, who now dwells in every single one of us. That is a gift from the Lord. And so too, we recognize that what God has given us now in his completed scripture is indeed a blessing that we should be able to look to. Uh, Another clarification. Fourthly, this does not mean that all continuationists are heretics. Um, I, I love how Cossie in his chapter clarifies that when you're thinking about the various positions on spiritual gifts, yes, there are going to be differences and uh, you know, we land in a particular position, but not everyone falls into one of two camps. And he gives the examples, right? The new apostolic reformation, right? Those in that camp, which there are indeed many false teachers, Many people who are preaching a prosperity gospel and either intentionally or unintentionally deceiving people into all types of uh, sort of very dramatic and twisted truths that are not the gospel. But not every single continuationist is in in that camp, right? I love how he clarifies you do have various groups of people. For instance, I think he even names John Piper. And I think all of us would affirm in so many ways that his ministry, the the truth of what he's saying, he is a true brother in the Lord that we can appreciate and value and learn from. And yes, there would be differences in how we understand the gifts of the, the, the sign gifts and how they're practiced and being done. But that doesn't mean that we push away everything that he has said or other continuationists have said, right? There are differences in doctrine And there are some issues that are primary, and I know Pastor Jeremiah will teach a class on this in a couple of weeks, so I don't want to say too much. But then there are those in which godly Christians can disagree, but we still understand we are brothers in Christ, right? We love each other, we respect each other. In some areas, maybe you can minister together, in some areas, maybe not, but we can choose to differ uh, based on our positions in Scripture. And so we want to make sure that we're not taking things too far where we just completely say, well, if, if you say that you believe in healing in tongues today, you are a heretic and a false teacher, and I reject you. There are many different categories of where a person can fall and what they mean by what they say. And so it's always helpful to clarify when you're talking with individuals there. Um, so I hope that that was helpful. Uh, let me get to this last part, and then if we have time for questions, we'll try to get there. Um, here are just three last applications. Number one, Praise God for and regularly exercise the spiritual gifts he has given you, right? As we talked about at the very beginning, there are many ministry type gifts, which we all have as believers today, that God has empowered every single believer to be able to serve the church better, not in our own human strength, but in the way that the Holy Spirit has uniquely enabled us to do. And so sometimes when you're having conversations around the sign gifts and whether things are being practiced today, people can get so harped up on the deep aspects of theology, and that is important, that they're not actually trying to serve the church today with the gifts that they have. Right? What we don't want to do is to go into this position where we are spending days and weeks and months parsing all of the Greek and looking at various tenses to say, is this meaning it's being used today or is it not? doing all these deep theological works that all you're doing is sitting in a library forever and ever. 
right? That God has indeed given us gifts, but for the purpose of serving the church, of edifying other believers. And so sure, do the hard work of study, but make sure you are still being engaged to serve the Lord with the gifts that he has given you there. Uh, And then again, so we have that second clarification. Grow in the knowledge of the word so you do know how to speak uh, to a continuationist position from scripture. In other words, when you're thinking about the spiritual gifts and we understand that people can land in, in different places Do you know enough from God's word to be able to explain what you believe, right? It's one thing to say, I am a continuationist or I am a cessationist, but it's another thing to be able to explain why from scripture, right? In many cases, and again, I know that this could be many of us for different seasons of time, you might say, well, I am a cessationist um, because my church has always been a cessationist. It's just been the history of my lifetime and family, and I've never really thought about it, but I just know that that is true because people have told me that it is true. I would say that's not a helpful posture for a believer to have. In general, we always want to be able to grow in our ability to uh, defend the scriptures, right? Be able to explain what we believe, not simply because someone has told us it is true, but truly being able to go to the pages of Scripture and say, this is what God's Word actually says, and here's why. Right? And again, I, I want to mention this is not an area in which we must completely divide on. I understand that there are probably brothers in here that would hold to a more continuationist perspective. We are still one in Christ. Right? But the important thing is, do we understand what Scripture actually says? Can we explain what we believe from the pages of Scripture or is it simply I have been told from another person? And so here's the, the last point of clarification. In general, right, and I don't want to say this too strongly, it's not as helpful to say things like God told me blank. Right? And again, the Lord can work and convict people through our knowledge of Scripture in particular situations, like I said. I, I really need to preach the gospel to this coworker, right? I, I feel very much convicted. That could be from the Lord. That could be a prompting from him as revealed in his word. But there's a huge danger once we go from looking at principles of scripture, passages of scripture to, I know that God wants me to do this, right? You know, why is it that I move to uh, this new state? Well, I, I heard a vision from the Lord. I heard a word from the Lord and therefore I'm here. Uh, because when you start making statements like that, you're, you're muddling the idea of hearing from God directly, right? We know what God has said through Scripture, but once you start making claims that are going to all different types of directions, if it's not truly from the Lord, right, that is a very dangerous place to be. As we saw even in Deuteronomy 18, it's a serious thing to say that you are speaking on behalf of God, and if it wasn't truly from the Lord, right, that person was considered a false teacher. And so, again, to be nuanced and and uh, charitable and careful, as we are reading in Scripture, as we are saturating our mind with that the Lord can convict and speak to us through that, we just want to be very nuanced in how we are explaining that to other people. So I I hope that all of that makes sense. Um, We have three minutes left, so we can try to answer (laughs) maybe one or two questions. We'll we'll see, uh, depending on time. But I trust uh, that Pastor Rich will be able to answer everything else next week when he's back from his vacation. So uh, we'll, we'll do that. So Christian.
Yeah, that's a good question. So uh, again, the cessationist position does not say God cannot do something, right? In his providence and sovereignty in a moment of time, it's saying that it's not something that we should be expecting on a regular basis. Um, specifically when you're thinking about, you know, some of those, you know, saints in the Catholic church and various things that people say, I did witness a miracle. Uh, we would be very, very cautious of those things. I'm not saying God could not do something right in his providence at a time, but once you're moving away from the pages of scripture, as we know, many stories then become who said what and who are you trusting, right? So as believers today, we would look at the pages of scripture and say, we know that God has for sure given this to us. And so we should trust every single word that we have here because it's given um, to us from him. But especially once you go into, for instance, the medieval period, right, in which you do hear many stories of all types of things that were done, uh, it just becomes impossible to validate, right? You know, you, have, you hear many people, not just people that claim to be believers or Catholics, but you hear people of many religions saying, hey, this happened to me. And so once we're moving away from the pages of Scripture, uh, we just have to be very careful because I'm not saying the Lord cannot do something that we would say was very miraculous, but you cannot validate that. You know, we, we, there's no way that we can say, look, because this person has said it, I 100% know that this was the case. So that's where we just want to be very careful as you're hearing many stories, because once you've opened that door, well, what about all the religions in which everyone's saying they've seen something powerful being done? And we say, well, that, that's not validating every single religion. So we want to be very careful with that. Yes. Yeah, um, so I, I would maybe hold off from saying it exactly. I, I would agree in general, right? The apostles most likely did many miracles, right? For instance, Paul, you do see that. Is there a world in which you had a person in the New Testament period who had the gift but only did it once? I think that could be possible. So that's why I, I want to be careful in, in saying it dogmatically. But yes, in general, right? you think about Jesus, Yes, Jesus performed many signs, right? Even in the book of John, you see many, multiple. So that would be a, a general rule of thumb, but uh, I would say there's the possibility in which a person only did one. Okay, so it is 7.30, so I, I know that there were a couple hands. I uh, would love to speak with you here afterwards if you would like, or you can save those questions for Pastor Rich next week. Okay, so men, I hope that uh, all of your uh, you know, Ironman groups have either gone